Not all housing data is created equal. We've got a new report out from Redfin, their rental market tracker. Um, but let's take a little bit of a closer look because you might not want to take everything in that report as fact, like many national media outlets are doing when they're reporting on real estate, which is going to give a lot of people really just a bad, a bad idea of exactly what's going on in the housing industry. If you're a real estate investor, active, passive, just curious, or you've been in the industry for decades, this is the YouTube show podcast. It's really been designed for you to keep you up to date and up to speed. All the new research is coming out, um, the data, news articles, and then wrapping it up with some original opinions uh, from Dr. Matt Bosnagel and myself. We're here at the Great Capital Studios at the Great Capital headquarters in Indianapolis, Indiana. A lot of other good reports. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Great Capital Studios, Great Capital HQ. We're in Indianapolis, Indiana, mm -hmm. joined by one only Dr. Matt Bosnagel. It's good to be back. <laughs> How's it going, Matt? Pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. You know, so far, getting through the week. Oh, yeah. A lot of, lot of good work. A lot of good work to be done this a lot week. Of work, <laughs> a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Matt, yeah. interesting reports coming out. Um, we were just talking before the show um, about this new report that Redfin just um, brought mm -hmm. out, the rental market tracker, U.S. rents post first annual decline in three years. Yeah. Now, that's not exactly shocking because we know that there's been some slow growth and even declines nationally mm -hmm. over the last kind of quarter or so, kind of starting halfway through 2022. So it's not a shock that we maybe see some declines. Yeah. But when you look at a couple different sources, some things start to, I guess, pop out in the Redfin report that... Um, I guess are a little bit questionable and you're coming a little hot. Yep. Yep. Being like, man, well, it's not their, it's not Redfin's fault. It's yeah. not Redfin's fault, but it's get, their stores getting picked up Yep. and you're tracking. So we track like a handful of different um, sources um, on, on rent growth, a couple other KPIs are really looking at rent growth just to see, you know, who's right, who's wrong, comparing their methodology. And it seems like Redfin's all over the place. And so for all these national media outlets that kind of pick up this story, mm -hmm. um, as a headline, you're just like, oh man, people aren't just getting the real picture. But yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts? And it's funny, even in that article, even in the report itself yeah. from Redfin, it was like people were characterizing it as more of a normalization mm -hmm. than, an, than an outright decrease. Yeah. If rents mm -hmm. really were declining by 0 0.4 on the national, uh, on the national level, um, we'd be in a lot worse situation. There'd be a lot more <laughs> people pulling their hair out. <laughs> And I don't think, but, it's... but what, I mean, but rents have been down though, right? I mean, Austin, yeah, Phoenix, but, all of those markets. But the fact that if we were to see this negative trend continue, it, because we're getting into peak renting season, we should see a bump up at this point, which we are in other rent. So what, what's the period on this? Let's, let's let's pull up the Redfin report. What is the period? Because I mean, that that's a good point. I mean, are we talking about um, you know? Q, Q4 of 2022, we're talking uh, Q1, or are we talking about just for March? Now, March, we've seen, was a, has been a, a very positive month. Yeah. So that that is, but the headline is for year over year. The beginning, yeah, it's a year over year number, but, but, and that's a good point too, is that, you know, the year over year, it's going, those numbers for rent growth are going to be ever smaller because we're going to be packed up against last year's stellar numbers for the beginning of the year. Now, it shouldn't go negative. That's not this division relationship, you know, the comparative relationship. But the fact that this is going negative, just it raised my eyebrows a little bit. And then really... So, I mean, they're saying that last year, March of 22, mm -hmm. rent was $1,944 on average, or the median U.S. asking rent. Mm -hmm. um, but today, in March of 2023... Median rent is one thousand nine hundred thirty-seven. So relatively marginal. You could really just call it flat. Yeah. But I mean, are, are, are sorry? Are are they wrong? Um. Well, they they're using the data that they that they've given, and their data is at is at odds. I think with with other reporting, and and really, I think that the the people that I'm most disappointed with <laughs> are some of the media outlets that have, I think, mischaracterized the apartment market. And, um, and really it's a comment on the coverage. So we yeah. get headlines like apartment rent prices fall as new units hit market from CBS. Mm. Um, and then there is, uh, there is apartment rents fall as crush of new supply hits the market. That's from yeah. the wall street journal and rents fall annually for the first time in three years from the Hill. Um, 
you know, you could read that and you're thinking, oh man, rents are falling. I mean, are you going to argue with the Wall Street Journal? That's the, that's what the headline says. It says it right there. They're falling. They it either wrong? happened or it, or it didn't. But is there, I mean, they have year over year, right? According to Redfin, that's my point. <laughs> A long time ago, I used to- What, what, what is the, what is, so- They're not. So it, you, we could, two things can both be right. There can be rents are rising today, mm-hmm. but they have also declined year over year. Um, I, well, that's the thing is that they're not, that by not, by characterizing this as a, as a blunt fact and not just the result of reporting from Redfin, I think that some of these mainstream, I hate the word mainstream media, some of these media outlets are mischaracterizing what is really just one data point among many and one data point that is not, um, the, that's an outlier. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's wrong in the sense that if you're going to not cite or not just say like Redfin reports this. Mm-hmm. Um, is that maybe too much to ask? Uh, well, the editorial I, again, I, I, I think the issue is we're just we're making commentary on the future by using Ghana data of the past and what's happening today isn't really indicative um, of what has happened. Um, it, there could be some indication that, you know, maybe we're, we're going to have slower growth and maybe some declines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't I, you know, look, I mean, we, we track this as well, Matt. What are we looking at year over year? Yeah, so you know, along with citing your sources, which those headlines didn't really do when they mischaracterized the the rent growth numbers. Another thing I told uh, an old college writing class I used to teach was to look for more than one source. Don't just Google your topics. Dig in. Don't just dip out after you find the first uh, source you find on Google. Uh, you can, and especially when it comes to apartment rent growth, there's lots of rent growth trackers. Some of these, um, I have. We've got a lot of data on um, a. a to like September 2021, um, really emphatically, there is more than one source on apartment rent growth. And Redfin's measurement of rent growth is a clear outlier. Really looking at the- What's our, what do we have a, our, what our year over year on the aggregate is? The average? Uh, the, yeah, the average. So if we're gonna look, it's that dotted pink line and the average is, if I can click on here. There, let me see. If you hover over it, we've got, where are we here? Well, let's just go into the chart yeah, itself here. Chart. And the actual number that we have for average rent growth is, for March, the average is 4.24 if you're including the, the CPI or 3.95, or that's 3.59 if you're excluding the CPI. That's year over year rent that's growth. That's year over year rent growth. So a far cry from negative 0.4 whether you're factoring in CPI, which is going to bump it up artificially, or you're throwing that out, mm-hmm. which which leaves you at about a little over three and a half percent rent growth year over year. Now, going back to these um, these numbers and and really, actually, not just the year over year, but really looking over the recent month over month rent growth, that you can find that Redfin is a clear outlier, or at least it's clearly volatile compared to the other ones. What's that line that's jumping in and out of what is otherwise fairly fairly grouped together set of rent growth <laughs> trends yeah. that is redfin it's going you know it's dipping down low and it's going up high the next month so um there's much more volatile yeah much more volatile a little more a lot more volatility here and um and the year over year numbers maybe don't have redfin standing up standing out that much but looking at five different rent growth trackers going back to september 2021 like i said rent growth had the highest year over year rent growth spiking up to you know over 20 what is this 21% yeah, yeah. in november 2021 which is um you know is a little is a little high uh, but it also is now at the lowest so it's the higher highs lower lows um does and, and I was asking this. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's, it, it's, it maybe is it could it be more accurate that it's just a higher frequent. They're using higher yeah. frequency data, so they're getting their data. It sounds like from Rent. dot com. Mm-hmm. They call. It. Rent. I have asked. I have asked Rent um, on LinkedIn. Do you pronounce it Rent. dot com? Do you say in the office, "Hey, it's great to work at Rent. dot com," or Rent, is or it- or is it Rent, or is it Rent. dot? I think it's Rent. dot. Oh. I know. I asked them. They did not respond to me. I think that they're self-conscious. So there's no comment? I think they're self-conscious about their name and they don't like it. Um, but that's that's my hot take of the day. Even more hot than the Redfin because I don't think that the Redfin should be thrown out. It should just be used in context with other ones. Yeah. And if you know that it's that it's a little volatile, then maybe, you know, then you can kind of account for that or you can look at, at some valuable things that are actually in the report. And going into this report, you can find, um, you know, actually they used to have 
what I'd like Redfin to return to is they had home ownership costs alongside the uh, the rent growth numbers, so you can kind of track both of them. But for some reason, it's not in this report. I'd love it if they put it back in. Anyways, they have numbers for specific markets as well, and their declining markets are Austin, Chicago, New Orleans, Birmingham, Cincinnati. Some of them share with other rent growth figures. Oh yeah, yeah. But other ones, uh, but other ones, not so much. Here, I'm going to give you the reins here. No worries. Um, and what 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 interested me wasn't the ones necessarily that that it shared with people. Um, so. Like Indianapolis, it's high. It's it's up there for um for great rate growth markets for Redfin as well as Yardy Matrix, CoStar, Apartment List. That's great. But what about Chicago? Chicago is actually very nearly the opposite. Um, it's uh Redfin has Chicago at negative nine point two percent rent growth. It's pretty much again directly the opposite about other rent uh from other reports yardy apartment list and costar have chicago among the top markets for rent growth very much not the bottom so there's stuff to get in in this redfin report there's completion numbers it's just it's kind of like take it with a grain of salt don't throw it out but know that this is the the, the redfin yeah. numbers are going to be a little bit more extreme on the higher well, and the lower end. even this conversation is that you know, just be careful i guess when you, you hear it see a headline um to really be certain about what that data point is they're talking about, what the source yeah. is. I mean, year over year, month over month. I mean, mm-hmm. median, there's so many different ways to look at any different, you know, metric, yeah. and especially rank growth. Um, de- yeah. Depending on the source and the time frame. you know, there's a lot of different choices. And man, your concern is there's a narrative. Yeah, that's, that's, that's being, what I was getting, that's, yeah. That's yeah. being pushed. We know it. We know to look at things like month over month because they may be more valid. Yeah. It may give you a wrong mischaracterize if we're going to go year over year right now just because we're but, comparing. But people, but people are asking, you know, are, rent, are rents up or down? Is real estate good or yeah. bad? Yeah, yeah. It has to be like boiled down and exactly. simplified to yes. like really good or bad. Is, mm-hmm. it, is it like people, real estate going up? Is it going down? Yeah. And the narrative is it's going down. Yeah. And that's why this has been picked up on. That's the narrative that the media is pushing mm-hmm. for right or wrong. There's plenty of that certainly could be correct. And there's yeah. certain things that are like, well, you're not really getting that full picture. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, uh, and again, we've talked about it. We've been talking about this a lot, but you know, the frequency that commercial real estate is now brought up on the national finance, financial media is mm-hmm. it's a lot more today than it was, has been in mm-hmm. the past. I mean, very frequently. I mean, the question that someone's coming on talking about macro they're talking about commercial real estate and the loan expirations that are coming due. Um, there's a ton of maturities. We were looking at the, the data yesterday, Matt. Yeah. I mean, October of this year. Yeah. There, there there's the, a big wave coming. And then, you know, there's the early 24, mm-hmm. a lot of loan maturities. And there's a lot of areas of commercial real estate, especially office that are, you know, going to be in trouble. And yeah. there's going to be some multifamily operators who are in trouble. It, it it's interesting because it's in the it's in those kind of conversations that you'll see some some talk about multifamily, but a lot of the coverage too when it's talking about rents, there is I think there is a tendency to, well, lower rents are great for most of their readers. Basically, um, most of the readers of a mainstream media of a CBS News article are not going to be multifamily investors, and so they'll see rent growth as a, as a as a good, which which is yeah. fine. Just you know, it's a different perspective. And, and, but now I, I think it's moved beyond the content for multifamily investors or, or renters into a um, macro narrative yeah, like of the economy. They're going to wreck the going. banks and stuff. Yeah, I, I think it, it's really not, they're not worried. They're not worried. They are not worried for, you know, the owners, of course, yeah. the real estate. I don't yeah. think that's the concern. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the worry is that there's going to be a fallout and that, okay, we kind of narrowly um, got past this, you know, the little banking, you know, kerfuffle or of, and there's a lot of uncertainty. Just you know, what happened? We, mm-hmm. we had this little bank failure that happened a couple, you know, month ago now. And yeah, where are we with? You know, well, what did what did we learn? What are there ripple effects or not? Are they under the surface? I don't know. If we don't know. We're planning on making a segue, but this is like the most beautiful segue I've ever seen to the next. To the next I've topic. Uh, yeah, I've been known for being able to do that. So anyway, <laughs> where is distress risk in today's CRE market? Marcus and Millichap just came out with this mad. Yeah, I'm glad, glad you brought this up. Um, it's a good question. Yeah, it, it's a really good question. Where is the distress? Where, where, so, where, where is it? I mean, I've heard of some foreclosures. There's again, it's you know articles, and this is a video, so we don't really have to to go over it specifically. Yeah. But uh, 
really, it was another excellent take, and, and it jibes well with some of the uh, a lot of what we've with what we've been saying. But it, I think, it bears repeating for the very reason that you've given to is like this is in the discussion, and if we don't keep repeating ourselves, then that's going to be taken over. I think by some things the like this character. Yeah, the, the, the narrative is being driven now by um, journalists, yes. who are not necessarily experts, yeah. so in the field, and they're more writing articles to get views and clicks mm -hmm. and talking about a, a wave of debt and real estate crashing yeah. is a great way to get people. I mean, fear engages people yeah, and it drives people and, and they can paint a lot of fear. And so, but there's not, the, it's not that there isn't truth mm -hmm. to some of these concerns. It's the stuff we've been talking about, Matt, for the last you know year, year and a half. Yeah. But I appreciate people like John Chang and Paul Fiorella exactly, yeah. and Jay Parsons really lending their voice to this because otherwise, yeah, it could kind of get lost in uh, in the doom and gloom when really it's, you got to kind of qualify the threats because they're out there. And John Chang does say that, that they're out there. It just doesn't threaten banking as a whole. Um, yeah. And that's kind of his big point is, you know, it's not going to tip over banking. However, you know, there is a there is some <laughs> there is some threats specifically like we've said in the office market um the uh there's isolated incidences you know he also references this houston the houston owner operator that had to mm -hmm. there's like Foreclose. thousands of units yeah. and foreclosure mm -hmm. um again isolated incidents but those instant instances were uh were caused by floating rate debt and really high loan to value ratios yeah when um and he sh shows in this video loan to re uh, loan to value ratios are are ever lower now yeah um, I, I i've seen that statistic floated a couple times mm -hmm. and while that that is true like that like that is true yeah. um that doesn't mean at the early part of the period where a lot of loans that yeah. the ltvs were now that the basis maybe have been a little bit better mm -hmm. they're still you're still getting kind of you know 75% LTV, even higher in some cases. And I wonder how that shakes out for each sector. Because I think, you know, they're lumping in all the sectors. I think they came to like 53% or something yeah, right now. And that, and that makes sense. Um, but just looking, so and, and mm -hmm. another discrepancy, Matt, that we've talked about um, yeah. is that, you know, the different groups that track this information, there, there's different numbers of, of how much debt is outstanding. And I'm sure they're tracking different, Yeah, you know, they're, they're tracking different things, but you know, MSCI has, you know, 900 billion total over the next two years, but the Mortgage Bankers Association, MBA, has 1.4 trillion. And of course, the media is going to, you know, talk about the 1.4 yeah, trillion that's... rather than the 900 billion. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot coming due either way. Um, this year in 23, either 400 billion or 728 billion. Mm -hmm. And then 2024, it's 500 billion to uh, 659 billion. You know, take your pick. Yeah. Um, it's a lot coming due, but um, not all of it's going to necessarily be so distressed. Some of it yeah. will work out, um, but and there will be uh, a cumul a slight cumulative effect of you know every single person that has those isolated incidents where they made the wrong decision. That's going to a little yeah. bit kind of mark or, or or affect the market in some way and yeah. push maybe prices in a, in a little bit more reasonable. But uh, exactly, and but the question is, I mean, there is. There's going to be some consequences, and yeah. it may mean that um, owners are not losing money, but they're not making any money, and they mm -hmm. have to kind of hand the, in the keys. Maybe yeah. they get their money back, maybe not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the banks are going to be in, in a relatively good because I mean they still have these assets. I mean, if they foreclose, they've got these assets that yeah. you know that um, they should be able to sell. At, you know, at, at some point. Yeah. But um, there's definitely going to be some investors that lose money. I mean, without a doubt. And we're already seeing from like you mentioned, Matt, mm -hmm. there's already foreclosures that ha are taking place. I, I don't see a, a wave of foreclosures that has occurred. Mm -hmm. um, but I think later on in the summer and by fall, um, I think by October, when the last time I was looking at the CoStar data, yeah. we were looking at it yesterday, there's a big spike in October of 2023. What I'm curious about so you know you've talked about banks coming in and, and owning these assets yeah. they don't they want kind to, of don't want to yeah but so then are that's they, they that's what they said <laughs> yeah i know they're, they're starting to become experts at multifamily um but does that mean th that banks would be a little bit more uh amenable to uh working something out yeah if yeah. they can yeah i mean in some cases um yeah here's a Houston apartment owner loses 3,200 units for to foreclosure as multifamily feels the heat. Um, sorry, Matt, your, your question was... So would they, would banks sell 
um, it would make want to sell it. Would be they'd be easier sellers than the actual. It, it also, it all, I think, it all depends on their own balance sheet yeah. and you know what their liabilities are and their capabilities to manage. I think some may say in what their exposure to it is. Mm-hmm. Some of them may say, "Hey, let's just you know get rid of this thing yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna we're take it to a broker immediately. We're gonna sell it." Some may say, you know, it might be worth to hire an asset manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the bottom line is banks aren't in the asset management you know, business. That's not the risk profile yeah, yeah. that they take on and or the, that they're even capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not property managers. Um, they're not really asset managers either. Um, yeah. So they don't really want to be in that position. Some, I think, will, you know, will make the attempt and can outsource it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I think it's going to be, it's who the investors are, or who the ownership is in the bank, what their liabilities. I think it's going to be very individual basis what the relationship is with the borrower yeah. and the bank itself i'm just um, wondering so i don't think it's a blanket but yeah. you know prior to last month couple months yeah it was simply oh the banks aren't gonna want to take it back they don't like taking it back but mm-hmm. now when we, we saw again really sprung by the whole svb and some of the regional bank issues mm-hmm. i mean if they're in a tight spot like they're not gonna have a choice yeah like, like they may they may have to Mm-hmm. Um, or I've talked to some lenders who are like, no, no, our investors, and this is more like the debt pun side them, they're, they're going to, they want they want those assets. Yep. Like hmm. they, they, don't, they don't really want to work with anybody. Okay. Just, we'll just take them. What, see, and that was my, my question is, it, would there ever be a situation where, um, someone is trying to sell, the price is too high, they go into a foreclosure, the bank owns it, they go back to sell it and they're like, well, we don't have to, we're not going to sell it for as much as that original guy. Yeah. And, and exactly. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that, but it's, again, that's exactly. a, that's a yeah. lot of decisions that need to be made. That kind of extends the timeline. And you would think that the bank is, you know, that they're having to write it down on their books mm-hmm. in some ways. Some, so someone's given them an idea of the value now. Again, yeah. price discovery, not really sure really where values are right now, but, you know, they'll probably go in the middle somewhere of any recent transactions. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, it's got to go to market or got to go to auction and, mm-hmm. um, it all depends on how motivated the banks are. I mean, but I mean, could you see, you know, auctions? Sure. I, I think to mm. to get a price. Um, there was an auction last year, but really? it wasn't like, it was, I mean, it was a distress situation, but it wasn't related to any of this. It was more of just, that was more execution. So that's how the banks do it is auction. It's not a yeah. broker. Well, the brokers would run the auction. Oh, okay. Typically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, they, they, they'd go to a broker and they'd like, let's get this thing sold. It would be a similar process, yeah, okay. but they, but. The bank may say we have to get it sold. Yeah, and, our, and so I mean, an auction always is. Wow, an option. Yeah, sure. yeah, interesting, very interesting. Um, Deals. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and that's I mean, and that's and that's the that's that's bottom line. So mm-hmm. it's, are you prepared to weather the storm the next couple of months? You know, the Federal Reserve most likely is going to raise Fed funds rate another time, two or three. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, maybe not more than that. We don't know. Keep mm-hmm. it so. We're looking at a six percent Fed funds rate, you know, halfway through, you know, halfway through this year, mm-hmm. you know, getting into third, fourth quarter. Can your assets survive that type of debt service coverage if you're on a floating rate loan? Or if you're on a fixed rate loan, you know, you don't have to worry. All is good. Yep. But if you're on a floating rate loan, can you get through? Mm-hmm. Um, the longer it is, the harder it is. The hard, yeah. And and then get to the other side because there's going to be some people are going to get desperate yeah and, and they're going to they're going to hold out as long as possible but but it's not i don't see the, the i think the the screws are going to are slowly tightening mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you know every day every week every month every fed meeting um, yeah. and then i think the closer we get to october that's what i was going to say people are going to want to get in before the wave so that may motivate him. Was like, all right, I'm not going to wait till October. Now, if they could collude <laughs> and all time it at the same time, they would do that. But no, these are all individual people. They all want to get the best price. And I wonder if there's going to be some early wave. Well, the, to get the best price, you got to get sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Up. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I wonder and if so there's some earlier. There, I think I think those owners, most people, and a lot of this is going to. There's a lot of options. You can mm-hmm. be creative. I think they're trying to work it out. There's some people that have yeah. the money that they can just, hey, I can put this, I can put the money in the deal. I can, I can float us. Mm-hmm. Like we're all, I have to bring cash to the table to close to refinance, but I can do that. I can yeah. write a million dollar, couple million dollar check. Um, some people will um, be able to get an, maybe an extension from mm-hmm. their lender. I, I can see if there's a lot of like, no, these are good assets. These are good borrowers. These are good operators. Let's just give them a year extension. 
Yeah. You know, and, and they'll probably, have to, you know, pay for that. And, you know, so the, the bank's not going to do it for free, mm-hmm. but, um, none of this helps going to come for free, but there's, there's going to be some, it's not only going to be a, um, you know, hand in the keys, kick you to the curb. Yeah. Yeah. But there's already some of that's been going yeah. on and there will be some of that because it's, it's amazing. Some people like are, aren't good at communicating and they're not talking, they're not going to talk to their lender. Well, and I was also thinking like, yeah, for as much as they're going to wait for the last possible moment, I, this is a situation where I think quick decision-making is is also going to benefit buyer and seller. As long as yes. they have a good idea yeah. of what's what what's out there, it's better to decide now and, and get ahead of things yeah. than maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> risk lower what, prices. What's, what's so tough, Matt, is that exactly. when you're looking at a potential, you know, like a refinance or rescue financing, mm-hmm. um, it's... Do you make the decision now and what of with the information you have? Yeah. Or do you gamble and roll the dice mm-hmm. on rates being lower? Yeah. Six, eight, 12 months. Because if the idea being, if we're going to see some sort of fallout because commercial real estate's going to, you know, hit a rough patch, mm-hmm. there's going to be some, we're going to go into a recession. Rates are going to be lower. Mm-hmm. Why not refinance at a lower rate? Yeah, in a much more favorable environment. Not that the recession is going to be in the favorable environment, but I'd rather be paying, you know, the three and a half or four rather than five to six percent. Um, <laughs> and there, there's I think there's risk in the indecision and there's risk in waiting. It all depends on what that maturity you know looks like. Yeah, and then the opposite could happen. Um, rates could go up. I mean, yeah. that funds rate's going to increase. Now, the, like the ten-year and some of the other longer-term loans, mm-hmm. all depending on how you're going to finance it. You know, they they've been coming down recently. Now, I think they popped up. Well, and there's a there's a Charles Schwab article that uh, that gets at this very very concept. Oh, um, let's, let's let's take a look, Matt. And and he and they may may disagree with you a little bit on on where we are in terms of the Fed rate. Hike cycle. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Let's According see. to this Charles Schwab article, maybe we're at the top of the rate cycle. And what? Yeah, top is is good here because look, she's topping out because that means that we're on our way down. Um, really compelling. I think cogent that, that explanation. Was, no, I mean, but that, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. That, that was mm-hmm. the point I'm making. Yeah, is that if you if we're at the at the peak, mm-hmm. why would I want to lock in that rate now? Yeah. When rates are going to be lower, maybe in six months to twelve months. Yeah. If yeah. You, if you have that type of flexibility, and the, these are the conversations that people are having right now, do you completely take the risk off the table? But you know, you're basically buying high, buying high, mm-hmm. but minimizing risk. I mean, it's you're really waiting. a risk. It's a risk management question. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Um. Yeah. No. Uh. It, this really illustrates. I what I liked about the Charles Schwab article is. It also it illustrated the the real drawbacks of of the Fed's trajectory now and and in the past you know yeah. most of a year. Uh, the lead is Schwab's claim that we won't see any meaningful increase in the federal funds rates, which is a bold hot take I can get behind. I also appreciate they how they back it up with their account of the current state of the economy. A big point right now is that the lending environment is dismal. Schwab didn't throw in the inverted yield curve for nothing. It's been inverted for nine months. It isn't exactly news, but Schwab puts it in here as a sign of how close we are to recession. It's not great, and the Fed got us here. There are details that Schwab provides uh, to make its case, there are additional details um, that the Fed will stop hiking rates, including some very necessary comments, I think, on inflation trends. And the quote is, even though core inflation has taken longer to, de- to decelerate toward the Fed's goal, we think the recent banking stress and tightening in credit conditions will act as a strong disinflationary, if not deflationary force. While that bodes well for the fight against inflation, it also reflects the, the risk of overshooting to the downside as deflation is often consistent with recessions. For that reason alone, investors should be careful what they wish for when it comes to a rapid decline in inflation metrics. The subtext of Schwab's article could be encapsulated in the last part of that passage, in that investors need to be careful what they wish for when it comes to rapid decline in inflation metrics. Declining inflation means that people are paying less with lower economic activity. So extending that idea, the Fed's drawdown of interest rates will be motivated by economic conditions that will be dismal and will be painful for a lot of people. I would be among the majority in saying that hopes for a soft landing are are kind of non-existent. 
And this article seems to be making the argument that in order for the Fed to plane, to land the plane at all, it needs to be a bumpy landing. There needs to be some pain in order to get to lower rates. Um, you know what's good, though, Matt? Mm-hmm. We don't talk about a crash. We're talking about landing the aircraft. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. like, like okay, yeah. Olive will take a bumpier landing mm-hmm. and just as long as there's no, like, yeah, as long as we get a there. crash, but like a landing is a landing. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, you want it to be like smooth. Like, did we even land or we're still in the air? Yeah. yeah. But if it's a, you, you know, you, you come down, you cross with landing and yeah. you're, you know, you got the aircraft. <laughs> well, that's why we have that. You kind of, <laughs> how else are we going to simulate? Exactly. You know, you come down and it's, you know, a little bounce. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't avoid that. Yep, yep. Extent, but um, it's not. Put a, it as a hanger. It's it's not a it's not a crash. Yeah. Um, good thing we're able to use the prop. Yeah. But Matt, to know basically we're gonna have a recession. It's it's past due. It's a, it's a certainty mm-hmm. beyond certain. Man, that mean we're not gonna have one. Uh yeah. Oh, that's a good point. They're they're saying it, so now they're jinxing. <laughs> uh, I'm just anything so sick yeah, time, anything yeah. is so certain we've, about we've something. swayed in and out the of the possibility of recession enough for at least it, what, and I think you're right. It deadens the um, like the no one's talking about a huge huge crash as much as they're not talking about a, a soft landing. They're not talking about a huge crash, and um, and that's I feel like it's going to be in the in in between contraction recession. That seems to be what the the narrative is. Maybe we need to come up. You know how like um um certain Inuit um like uh peoples have like there's like how many like words they have for, like snow. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's like they've like they've got you know they've got more than they've dozens of words to describe different types of snow. Mm-hmm. Now for us, for all the work and the soft sciences of economics, yeah. you know, we've got like you know stagful. We've got recession. Mm-hmm. We've got depression. Um, we've got, you know, slowdowns. Uh, we don't have enough. Oh, well, no, we should. I don't think we have enough because I don't think we're, whatever we're in, stagflation. Hey, they've got, they've got category five tornadoes and hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could get a category, category one category. recession. Yeah. Which is that's the, maybe yeah. the lowest. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I don't know. Choose the cape. Anyway, yeah. Who's <laughs> the sides? Um, Matt, I, I just wanted to pull this up because yeah. it, it, it's illustrating. This is the uh, so forward curve um, for for SOFR. Let me triple check. Yeah, it's got the one month, month SOFR, three month term, and one more one month LIBOR. I'm just going to go to one month um, SOFR. So the reason why um, we're looking at this is because this is the rate that almost all floating rate multifamily loans are based off of, and this is um, information ba- um, based on the futures market of bond traders. And people who are, you know, buying and selling caps and swaps mm-hmm. and other basically hedging instruments. That's what Chatham Financial does um, for related to all kinds of different um, securities and investments um, relative to so for, Or you can just you know, trade the stuff. Anyway, a lot of different pricing action. And it basically predicts where traders and investors believe mm-hmm. Um, where are they basically saying that the rate is going to be? So there are investors that are making investments that are saying like, oh, it's going to be at X value in 2025 or whatever. And that's what this kind of represents? Correct. Okay. Um, and that's, what the, yeah, that's what the forward curve is. Okay. Okay. And so like right now, um, I mean, and it doesn't mean that it's right, mm-hmm. but it, it's been more correct than, than most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today, so in May, they have, you know, bumping up to five the SOFR, which is usually very close to Fed funds rate. Mm-hmm. But basically as soon as August, they we've got SOFR starting to decline mm-hmm. relatively steeply. I mean by, you know, February of twenty four, we're at a, you know, we've gone down fifty basis points. You know, and by, you know, um December of twenty twenty four, we're looking at SOFR close to three under three and a quarter. Yeah. Um, now these now these are the dot plots from the uh, FOMC hmm. um, Federal Reserve members. So okay, okay, the FOMC members for this, you know Jan- or for January twenty twenty five have the potential rate being much higher, significantly higher, significantly over higher. Over four is that what that represents? The blue all dot these all the these yeah the blue yeah, okay. correct blue dot is the average, but you know, this is the range. <laughs> Do you think that so the entire this? bond market is making no 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 no. But this has this is like a recession happening. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All these a recession mm-hmm. or a significant significant deceleration yeah. in inflation. It doesn't which typically caused by some sign of down, you know, yeah. the economy. 
yeah. going down. And what I think is, I, I wonder if the dot plot is a little bit of like they are wanting people to think that it stays higher for longer. There's a little bit of motivation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, we talk about this, you know, the yeah. the tool of psychology that the Federal Reserve. I mean, what 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 point other than that does this serve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than to um, frame expectations, yeah, to the investment community um, elsewhere. Wow, that's I I think that that's I, it seems pretty valid, and it definitely lines up with what with what Schwab's article says is like we're we're about near the peak and um and like like what you said it's gonna be there's gonna be some pain that gets us there um not not that we haven't had had enough pain and um it, and it is funny to talk about this you know we've yeah around the the pandemic and even during the last few months of it there was inflation but uh it wasn't like we were having incredible boom times there was some economic disru- disruption, and I'm I'm hoping that the fact that there was economic disruption, there wasn't like a, a golden age that we were just ramping up and up inflation. Uh, maybe that will deaden the any future recessions. But whatever, millennials millennials could take it. We've been through a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will will be will be fine, right? Yeah. Um, it's all 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 will be good. I mean, I. I you have to be optimistic in these scenarios, especially you have to assume that the fog of war. Um, you know, further you know discounts, mm-hmm. you know the the market, yeah, and, and just the uncertainty and volatility, um, just increases that mm-hmm. risk profile, and and in I think that it makes a lot of sense until we have some more certainty. I think that we're going to be narrowing in uncertainty in terms of rates yeah. relatively soon once the Fed pauses, maybe, but along with that type of certainty, future more uncertainty could come from you know, potential disruptions in commercial real estate yep. or elsewhere. I think that commercial real estate could be, um, you know, a little, could be end up being a distraction and yep. not as big of a deal as some are making it out to be. And then I, I just think that there's a lot more risk taking in other parts of the economy. Yep. And, um, and again, we, we've had some, you know, crypto blowups, obviously FTX already happened and, mm-hmm. and, but I don't know if there's anything, if it's crypto or technology related, a lot of that's already been fleshed out, but yeah. um, I, I think we've got a, it's a time to look for opportunities, mm-hmm. get expenses in, on, in check. I mean, that's one big challenge right now that mm-hmm. we're seeing, uh, not just in our portfolio, but just talking to other colleagues is that, you know, just expenses, you know, we're, we're starting to really see those rises in, you know, material costs and, you know, turns are more expensive. Yeah. And, and so it, it, you have to be strategic about you know, maybe not doing, at least what we're trying to do right now is maybe the way things have been done for a long time isn't the most efficient and best way to accomplish like yeah. tasks. Yeah. And so just having to be really creative and be like, you know, how can we use technology mm-hmm. here to, you know, manage assets more efficiently and do a better job, but, but, but cheaper because we have to, you, you have to reduce expenses. Yeah. Um, you know, expense some expenses in some areas are growing, you know, twenty, thirty percent and rent is no longer growing. You know, there was yeah. a period, brief period when rents were going and growing that much, but you know, in an ideal world it's you know, we're growing at six, seven percent in like the Midwest right now. Mm-hmm. We usually go down to four and five percent any you know I wonder average if, down. If there is a little bit of a lagging period. So we saw inflation again like late twenty twenty two. That was kind of more or less peaking, and now we're getting you're getting like the turns are starting, and so now you're actually seeing a lot of those increased prices where you yeah. weren't spending it right when it yeah. increased. You it's true, everyone was staying put. Yeah, and then the rent growth is is a little bit more uh, normalized to to put it to put it bluntly, but so that can't as much support it, so it maybe feels no. a little worse too. Yeah, I, and I, I think we're just. I think it is a lot of more just normalization, and mm-hmm. but we're not just normalizing back to like 2019. Yeah, I think we're you know we're normalizing into like an average of the. Well, I don't. I don't think we know. I don't know yeah. what we're normalizing to, but it's at least right now it's not gonna. It's not like 2018 or 2019. But that doesn't mean it's like 1986 yeah. or 1993. Yeah. Um. Or 2000 and eight or yeah. 2009 either. I don't, I don't know if it's any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and again, it's, we're in Indianapolis and the Midwest where we're still seeing rent growth. You yep. know, we're not in Austin, Phoenix. So it's, that there's, um, you know, the whole 
someone's you know taking the table and flipped it up and all you know, the pieces are still in the yeah. air and like you know until they all like land in place like not gonna be able to say mm-hmm. what exactly things look like but yeah that's why get back to the basics control expenses you know yeah manage your assets a year of if thank you mark zuckerberg berg this is the era of efficiency uh, if he hadn't invented that i don't know if anyone would be as efficient as they already are what did he what did he invent he well he invented the phrase the year of efficiency is that, is that what he that's what he said it that's, that's what, what this year is that's what this is for me uh yeah it is true kind of <laughs> i know <laughs> but i mean technology it's like a whole other animal like like yeah like that, that's like yeah like how would we operate without like masseuses and free sushi i know yeah we're very good like that, and, and that, that's, that's their efficiency but that's the thing is you know if you're used to the if you're not if you're not in that mindset where you're kind of like oh wait let me take this. What what are we spending money on? Yeah. Then you know the, it could be it could be uh, a f- free sushi and masseuses, or it could be uh, maybe we're shellacking our tubs for too much. <laughs> to use a to use what? a more specific example. What is that? Like uh, sealing the tubs. I don't know. Shellacking the tubs. What is it? Shellac polyvinyl. Okay, oh, caulking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, whatever. no. At, at the, sorry, <laughs> I thought you're still talking about Mark Zuckerberg. No, uh, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, maybe in the tech world, it's masseuses and and sushi, but in the multifamily world, maybe you're po- applying one too many coats of paint, or oh, maybe yeah. you know, sorry, or maybe there are other flooring decisions that you could go with a maybe a slightly yeah. more. It's all, it's all it's all that, and it's like okay, what look at your vendor relationships, mm-hmm. and you know what are you know are you contracting services out? What are you doing in house? Yeah. Um, right. you, you sharing staff, and then you know, what kind of technology are you using? Do you have subscriptions you don't need? Do you have your know, technology that you don't need, or is there technology that you could use that could replace other systems? Yep. That and or can you know, so could technology replace? You know, a person, or can one person, you know, float into the job of you know a couple people if you mm-hmm. have the right person in there? So I think it's it's everything in in, in anything, and you know, I don't think we ever had free sushi or, or massages. Yeah. Um, definitely, you know, we had some some lunch, you know, team meals and lunches and things like that. But um, I don't know what you did in a tub. Do you shellac it? No, you don't shellac a tub. You don't shellac a tub. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, Matt is not involved in the maintenance <laughs> at our properties. Uh, not but that part. <laughs> no, um, no, but that's okay, Matt. You know, I did. Uh, I did try to do a, a segue here, and now it's going to be a little that bit less. The, that should be the clip. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know. We'll, no, we'll put that, that in the clip. <laughs> We're going to clip that out and use it to advertise a great report. That's fun. Um, the. There is a an apartment list article. Um, you know, I mentioned as a as a way of a segue that millennials have have dealt with um, their fair share of, of economic crises. And all you know, I'll throw in Gen X too. Um, but um, um, but it really has taken a toll, I think, on their their attitudes toward home ownership. And this apartment list article um, that came along is uh, it it really shows how there is a kind of generational shift. Not only between the um, the millennials and previous generations, but generation upon generation, there are less people that are owning a home. Now, we have reached the milestone where now more than half of millennials own a home, 51.5. Um, and, you know, you can see other other generations, obviously. So the more. first millennial that owned a home was in the I 90s. Know. I don't get, so I, how old How old was that? So they were like in their teens? I guess so. Maybe okay, that, I, you know. Maybe the millennial thing starts when the very first millennial turned 18. That's when this millennial trend line started. But that's but, it, but it's home ownership. Because it should be, when they, okay, when they started rec- maybe recording the information, it was yeah. below 20. It was like 18%. So yeah. in 2000, which the um, millennial is what, like 19? Does it, does it define 81. millennial? 81. Maybe. So, so 19 years old. So, okay. So in 1990, whatever, 98, eight, eight, in, in 1998, um, so the oldest millennial would be 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this including everyone. Also the like 10 year olds and. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a good point. So well, 18, and, and, 18% yeah, of all yeah, millennials in 1998 yeah. owned a house. Yeah, well, and and as a well, I don't, I don't look at that part of the graph. Yeah, yeah, uh, but and, and that does explain how you know as a generation gets older, their their homeowner ownership rate tends to increase. Now it, it flattens out, and in the silent generation now owns slightly less homes than the baby boomers. But that's but again, um, the the general trend is they've moved into a home. 
Yeah. They no longer own that, their home. That's a very good point. And, and maybe that could be the trend. Now, um, if you normalize this, if you kind of compare apples to apples, at age 30, 42% of millennials were owning a home, 48% of, of Gen Xers, 51% of baby boomers, and 60% of the silent generation owned a home. So as each generation comes, comes you know, into yeah. home ownership years, they are owning, less and less of them are owning homes. You know, there's, they give plenty of reasons for these uh, generational gaps, especially the ones with millennials. There, we've got the Great Recession. We've got scarcity of starter homes in cities. Um, we've got uh, persistent, I think, affordability challenges for the last 15 years. Yeah. You know, COVID did not help things. Um, it increased this gap between millennial homeowners and renters. I mean, it's a big dip um, um, for Gen X recently. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder why that is. They some decided they wanted to live in tw- live in apartments. Yeah, you know that that could be. Um, yeah. I know. No, I know that. Oh, they're getting divorced. Oh, they some of them got divorced. They moved into apartments. That could be. <laughs> well, it, what's interesting is that millennials have a a dimmer view at the current moment of their ability to own a, a home. So, twenty four percent of millennials think, "Well, I'm just going to be a forever renter." Twenty percent of Gen, of Gen Z people think that they're going to be a forever renter. It's almost like as they get older, they realize and they come to the hard mm. truth. That uh, that this isn't worth. It's not worth chasing down a home, paying down that home. I mean, it's a huge shift between 2018 and 2022. It's only four years, but to go from 15.3 yeah. to 24.7. Yeah, and the jump. So that's good. So it shows that increasingly millennial renters are giving up on home ownership from 2018 to 20. Every single year, it jumped up. Um, and the real big jump was when the pandemic started, jumping from 14.9 in 2019 to 21. And this people who plan, not not this is not the people who say like. Um, like, well, you know, I would yeah, like to, but very good point. But this is like, no, no, my plan is to rent. I'm not planning on buying a home. Yeah, not yeah. like, oh, well, I'm trying to figure out how to buy a home, but like, it's not an option right now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like, uh, you know, subtract that. It's about what is it, seventy six ish, seventy five percent. Plan do plan to own a home. Yeah, but for those who are who are chosen to rent <laughs> forever. They're not deciding because they really want to. It's because they can't afford it. Which, you know, okay, it's kind of interesting. It sort of of correlates to this number of baby boomers of around, you know, three quarters. Do you think that the quarter of baby boomers don't want to own the home? Or is it, Hmm. uh, I I, I don't know if there's any correlation, but it is like, Kind of, kind of close. Um, yeah. But, but here's here's some of the reasoning. You know, for millennials who will rent forever. So this twenty mm-hmm. quarter of whatever millennials, why, why can't, can't afford it? And can't afford to buy a home more now than the, you know a, a little bit more than in 2018. So post post pandemic, uh, it's gotten even less affordable. And so, and again, so a lot of this is desperation. Maybe these people would like, yeah, if they ask, I, I think, think so you could too. ask this question so many different ways and get different answers. You know, would you like, would you like to own a home if you could afford it? If yeah. you were given the money, exactly. would you buy a home or so would you rent? It's not New choosing, orders. it's giving up. Yeah. And that's a little bit sad, but I think it reflects the, you know, the conditions that man yeah, just battered and battered. Um, but and, so I like yeah. the flexibility that renting provides. I mean, um, that actually has gone down. And so it's really shifted to just affordability. In 2018, people were like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I kind of like renting. It's flexible, which is definitely true. Um, I, you know, that has to be a, a COVID thing. Also, people aren't moving around as much, maybe. And they're mm-hmm. like, ah. Yeah. Um, and now there's like, I can't afford it. I'm just frustrated. Um, then, but okay. I prefer to avoid home maintenance and other added costs. Sure. I can see the appeal there. In 2018, it was 36%. 2022, it was 26% again. So people, it seems like people are just like, I, yeah, that's all great. But like, really it's a, it's a money thing. Yeah. Like bottom, yeah. bottom line, mm-hmm. everything else is just, you know. What's super interesting is the, now again, if they plan to buy affordability, still the largest hurdle, it's very much, you know, uh, it's a down payment. Kind of similar, yeah, exactly. That, that's the hurdle. What's the biggest yeah. obstacle you face? It's the down payment. And this figure in the next, in the very next chart here, um, really, I don't want to say gives it away, but sixty-seven uh, percent of millennial renters have no down payment savings. Now, I don't know how how that lines up with the people that have chosen to be forever renters, but it's more than that. So, so sixty-seven minus. Let's say twenty four. What do we got? I don't it's kind of it's kind of inverse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's like seventy. There's three quarters of people who like want to buy mm-hmm. buy a home, but about sixty seven percent, so a little less than three quarters. Yeah, 
Let's are say. not. So there's only a fraction of those people who are planning to buy a home yeah. are actually saving. So it's like, again, you can, you're taking like that quarter, but the three quarters that say they want to buy a home, mm-hmm. like it's not going to be an option. Yeah. Un- unless their parent, unless they're getting some help from somewhere, yeah. but like it- it's not in the cards. Like mm-hmm. you need, I mean, what's zero the average money. down payment? Yeah, they've got zero money saved. Now you could do a three and a half percent, you know, FHA loan, mm-hmm. um, three and a half percent down, or you you can put less than twenty percent down. That is an option. Paying, um, you know, mortgage insurance, mortgage insurance premium, and you do that. Not necessarily bad, but just it is what it is. Um, but zero dollars. I mean, you got to have more than zero to hit that three and a half. I mean, on yeah. A, let's say. Again, this- zero means also it, it 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 suggests that they're not planning yet to so they so there may they're be forty percent yeah. you know give or take there may be forty percent of millennials say they plan on they they're not for, they don't think that they're going to be forever renters they plan on buying home they've they have done no saving to do it yeah I mean three hundred thousand dollar home which mm-hmm. depending on where you live you're going to be buying that's not even an option you have to pay way more or. Yep. You know, you can find a cheaper house. Like any now, you can find a house cheaper than three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars for sure. Harder to find, really hard to find. in some work, but you, yep. they're out. They're out there. A lot of them. Um, they exist, but they may not be for sale. That's three and a half percent. You get an FHA loan. That's still like ten thousand over ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not easy to just scrounge up for a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're putting down an actual, you know, five percent to twenty percent, I mean, that's. It's it's Way hard. It's a, hard. So it's sixty know, grand all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah, for twenty percent. Just to just to start that, um, it, it it's it's gonna be a significant undertaking. Um, it, this story is still developing in a very big way. Um, well, be- and this always develop. I mean, this is uh this is a that I damn that the dynamic demographic um story that as multifamily investors, mm-hmm. real estate investors, we, we constantly have to, you know, have the pulse of and, yeah. and know that this is where the wind is blowing, you know, for the future. Yeah. Um and it, it could be hard to make and this never can move around. Like the home home ownership rate can like fluctuate. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was up before the great financial crisis and then it dropped during the great financial crisis. And then you know, closer to, um, you know, 2018, 2019, the homeownership rate started really kind of picking back up again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it really, it shot way up during the pandemic and now it's come down a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, it can be volatile, but um, the overall trend, at least right now, is that you know, renter, kind of renter nation, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, um, you know, we're moving towards a society where most people rent their homes, um, like is the case in many other parts of the world, that they, parts of the world could do things differently. They don't have like multi-family. They have apartments, but like they're not they're not managed or built the way that we do it here in the U.S. For the most part, yeah, it's it's, in, it's interesting. But um, but the fact is, most people rent. It, it doesn't usually make sense. I mean, to make again, this is a whole other topic, Matt. But um, other than some like an emotional reasons that can be strong and, and, and good reasons, but if you're purely looking at it from like a financial mm-hmm. perspective, like there's no real reason you need to like own your own house. Like it's yeah. one way to do it, but like, you know, most people are, are only going to be there for a fixed amount of time, mm-hmm. you know, three, five, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And, and I wonder if a lot of, the I mean, mobility of, of, of remote work plays into a little bit of this probably doesn't, but um, it's definitely a factor. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's the other big change that I feel like is happening in, in American culture as, as it pertains to commercial real estate is this is remote working and, and this whole housing affordability, this shift in America value, because going again at age 30, 60% of silent generation, 51% of baby boomers, 48 Gen Xers, 42% of the millennials on home. Um, that's a big shift. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you found this graph too. These are the markets. And and they are ranked by percentage of millennial ownership by metropolitan area. And the lower cost of living places, almost all of them in the Midwest, are the leaders of the pack here. I mean, it's, it's not shocking. I mean, anecdotally, man, mm-hmm. and we know, like, again, we're Minneapolis, so we know the mid- Midwest, and it's social Indianapolis. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of millennials who own their own, own home. There are, not all of them, but I know, like, I know a lot. Yeah. One, one of my friends was talking about, like, he travels, you know, he's got a job that he has to travel all over for, you know, every other weekend. He's like, listen, I had a, I, w- I was thinking about moving somewhere else, but Indianapolis, you know, one of the big things is low cost of living. It's, it's, you know, there are great things around, around the city, just like any yeah. other cities, but it's such a bonus to not have to spend, you know, your, yeah. your entire paycheck on a mortgage payment. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it is nice. I mean, I mean, when Alec 
we bought our first house. I mean, and it was $250,000 and you know, we've moved out because we ran out of space, but like it was, mm-hmm. it was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Like there, there were those available. I mean, you used to be able to buy a house for, um, under 200,000, like a starter home. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be an older home. Maybe you need a little bit of work, but I mean, $150,000, you know, get you, get you a decent amount of house. Yeah. Yeah. And, and place so, so the top here of the most affordable is Grand Rapids yeah. and followed by Minna- Minneapolis that. that we've, you know, we've talked about that. Cincinnati, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and then Indianapolis. Um, those are the, what, top six. Um, interesting, you know, uh, one is number eight is Salt Lake City at their home ownership rate is about 55%. Now, that's millennials too. Um Again, uh, it, it, the av- national average is fifty one point five, but it's it's good to see you know some of these lower costs. It, it just makes sense that. Uh, but you know, there's not there's only a handful of markets that are really above the medium because there's I know that's a handful really like you know Grand Rapids is like you know almost like seventy five percent. It's really it's like almost shockingly high. Yeah, and then the rest of the Midwest is is really kind of sticking out there a little bit. But then um, you know you've got you know like places like L A and San you know Cal. Uh, Top the bottom four, unsurprising, mm-hmm. are California, yeah. followed by New York. You know, Memphis is a, a little surprising, I guess. Mm-hmm. Honolulu certainly isn't. Miami isn't. Um, but I mean, yeah, Los Angeles. I mean, it's it's in the you know twenties, you know, mid to low twenties. Um, so it, it, it's it's interesting. And what another thing too that's worth you know another reminder here is that these is that housing prices do tend to you know go up and go down in tandem. I think home home ownership. Prices are, are are having it are diverging a little bit because of mortgage rates, but you know when it all kind of boils, if mortgage rates were were not a factor, you know there may be a little bit different, but but again they are a huge factor, <laughs> and they're driving people I think out of homeownership. Yeah, it's just it, it's it's poured cool water on the market. I, I mean, there's enough buyers out there that the prices are staying up in many cases like i just saw a report in um, indianapolis single family homes year over year prices are still up yeah um not a lot of inventory there's still buyers in the market yeah so it's it's very interesting and then you know there may be a alternate path to home ownership for gen z but i just think there is this clear shift of generation to generation decreasing rates of home ownership who's to say maybe home maybe gen z Twenty per only twenty percent compared to twenty five percent. Only twenty percent of Gen Z people think they're going to be forever renters. Millennials a little bit more jaded. A little Gen older. Z doesn't think like the whole world's going to be here in five or ten years. That's I think that so, I think like, that's I true. I think I like a lot of them just of like they're I, writing it off. Yeah. Right? I, and, and then totally. like they'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you were I mean, teenager. I mean, late mid late teens. Tw- I mean, like. Mm-hmm. People almost, it's almost like, oh, wow, you know, these, these Gen Z teenagers, they're, they're really kind of edgy and yeah. like, I'm like, hey, what do you think That's teenagers, like <laughs> yeah, well, what, what do you think teenagers have been? Like, I know, I know. Yeah. Ever, like, like Roman times, last... there's probably some ancient tablets that say the same thing. Maybe they're talking about home ownership rates. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I went through the, you know, freaking you know, obviously I didn't, but like late sixties, I mean the whole, yeah. you know, cultural revolution, you know, they're like, we've seen kids of. Uh, have opt you know dropped in and dropped out yeah, uh, yeah. in much larger scale <laughs> b- b- before so and and then become the yuppies and they all get a job yeah yeah well and and my yeah my point is I think that these numbers just like they did change for millennials where millennials got increasingly more jaded towards homeownership I think that Gen Z will get increasingly more jaded towards homeownership yeah. and the cumulative effect from generation to generation it i don't think it should be ignored and i think it stands to benefit uh multifamily investors or j- at least the performance of of apartment properties but i i would like to move away from sometimes i think this these statistics statistics get framed in a sense of the these these generations are missing out on um wealth building opportunities and um, because it, it is true that one of the primary ways that individuals um, build wealth is through ownership of a, you know, primary ownership of a single family home. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the only way to get there. That's just been like the tried yeah. and true method that like, you know, your dad and your grandfather and everybody has done. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's a point where there's a point that that doesn't make sense. And it's certainly not the only like route to generate yeah. wealth. I mean, at some point you you, you can separate and we've talked about this plenty of times you know, we can separate the um you know, need for 
like the utility of a house mm -hmm. and, and a place to like sleep and do whatever you're, you need to do with your family and all that. To, and then also a um, a vehicle to you know to allocate your capital towards yeah. Yeah. and a, from an investment standpoint mm -hmm. and from you know, pure economics. And again, it's a process of evaluating what your goals are mm -hmm. and you know what you're looking for out looking for in life. And maybe owning a house is one of the primary ways to achieve that. You know, I want to be able to have a certain lifestyle and to control my yeah, control. property. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to do that the way I want to do it, I have to have a, a home. But that but that means that it doesn't necessarily mean that that home is going to be the best financial investment. It's just my need to control whatever you're going to control more than if you were renting outweighs mm -hmm. um, the alternative of another investment that yeah. may yield a higher return. Um, but You're we don't buying, like, we, yeah. we don't really look at it like that. I know it, it, it's yeah. more of a you know we kind of want to buy we're some, we're sick of paying rent and we feel like we're at the age where you know we want to buy a home we're going to be somewhere yeah. for a year and you know we'd rather not pay rent you know we could just be paying off a mortgage and mm -hmm. you know it just seems like it's time and we want to be in this neighborhood you can't rent in that neighborhood yep. you know rent rentals aren't necessarily in a nicer part of town we want to be in the suburbs. Yeah, you know, and and so it's like, yeah, we're at the part of that life. We're at that stage. It's 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 more cultural, mm -hmm. you know, rather than anything. And so, again, more just moving away from the fact that inherently, a lower home ownership rate means to less wealth building opportunities. Yeah, I think that's the mindset shift that we have to um, take on as a society and a culture yeah. that. We might want to dig into the details a little bit of. Okay, I've got this theoretical nest egg of a down payment, mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars. How do I generate wealth to achieve prosperity for myself, my family? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever over, mm -hmm. over time, while also being able to have some utility of a place to live and you know, well, and you know, whatever, maybe there are ways to address those needs for control privacy, um, for, you know, a, a, a way to kind of have your identity uh, be associated with your home, which I think is really important for people in. I want to mow my own. I think a lot of times it's like, I want to be able to mow my own lawn. Yeah. And if I want to paint a wall, I want to paint, I want to paint a wall. I want to make my yard look great. And people think that I'm a cool person because I got a cool yard. You can't do that necessarily in an apartment. You don't have as much control in rental housing. Although if there were, if we could figure this out with single family rentals and let, you know, and kind of give people a little more yeah. freedom. And, and, and that, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, it's not like you can't do that. Yeah. Now, the, the, there's a the reason why landlords don't usually just leave the landscaping up to the tenant is because what if the tenant doesn't yeah. for, forget some of the lawn yeah. and then it's, you get a violation. You mow the lawn a couple times and then you realize maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that's, I don't want my, to. But, 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 and, and that, I guess that's where I'm getting mm -hmm. at is like, how important is mowing the lawn? Yeah. And being able to paint the wall again, you could probably paint the wall. And if you rented a house for a you know multi-year term or a year term, like I don't think you know, mm -hmm. have to pay to paint the wall. You know, or, yeah. It's like, like, what is the real like you know need? Is it to? And I'm not. I'm asking. No, no. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I, I'm asking. Yeah. It's, it's it's rhetorical. But um, if you really get down to it, again, it really doesn't make sense. Other than it's a you know we've been brainwashed by the banks mm -hmm. to participate in you know buying these you know getting mortgages yeah no and, and you're talking about the same you know kind of similar things is like i'm thinking that in the same way that people's expectations for a home ownership and for their housing experience in the same way that those can kind of change and may not be you know as fixed yeah. and universal as as we thought maybe the relationship between renter and um, an apartment owner or, or single family home owner, maybe the landlord renter relationship could also kind of alter to accommodate this other shift on the other side. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And I think so. So there's going to be that demand. And mm -hmm. we're, we're talking, you know, right neck up next to the whole idea of, you know, build for rent. Yeah. Um, of, you know, why it's appealing to yeah. especially millennials and this demand for like, I want a house, but like, do I need to buy it or do I really need to own it? And then, you know, is it a, okay, hey, we're gonna mow the we're gonna mow the grass, mm -hmm. but like, is a garden in the backyard? Is, go for it. Is the or H O you know H O A? You're gonna get fine. Okay, you can mow the lawn, but um, you're gonna get dinged, and we'll take care of it. We're gonna bill you. Yeah. Is the uh, build for rent neighborhood? Is it all cookie cutter houses? Do they all look a little different? Yeah, is, cookie cutter. But that's I think that that could be a big factor. You know, is yeah. you want something that is 
that replicates that feeling of buying and owning a home then maybe it's maybe. like Villager West Clay. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah. But again, obviously, you know, doing anything at any kind of scale, it's hard. It's hard. Oh, that's to more do. expensive to do. Yeah, to do that. Yeah, let's do what you know. Let's do 51 offs versus like let's design yeah. two or three different templates and. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I could see people. No, but the yeah, the, the yeah, the, the yeah, no, the appeal for sure, for sure, is is there. Um, well, Matt, you, you've given us a lot. To, I know I could still talk for another hour. <laughs> I, know, I know, yeah, we, we in, but um, people are gonna start turning off, Matt. We know, we, we make these too long. That's right. <laughs> um, so there's a oh, man. I, so I would one okay, homework, greatcapitalllc.com/slash/newsletter. You're gonna sign up for the Great Report newsletter. You're gonna get all these articles, videos, etc. Emailed to you at least once a week, most mm-hmm. likely twice. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, check us out, greatcapitalllc.com while you're there. Um, schedule a meeting meet with our investment team. If you're a credit investor, you want to see what we do, what kind of deals. We like to crush it. Um, you can see us on Twitter. While it's oh, yeah, 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 we're on Twitter. We're on Twitter. <laughs> we joined at right, just the right time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we're on Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Instagram, technically Facebook. Um what else are we on there? We're gonna get a TikTok. We're gonna get our TikTok, TikTok on as well. TikTok. We we are on TikTok right now. Um, but it's not like yeah. If if you go to our TikTok, it's like a picture of me and I think my six year old. We're gonna we're gonna get. But it's Great Capital LLC. Yeah. Add Great Capital LLC. And um, actually the first two videos, mm-hmm. the first two videos. Have you seen? Have you seen them? I glanced at the thumbnails. That's all. <laughs> they're 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 a little bit. They're not that from that long ago, but they're from long ago enough that um. I, I don't know. They're not, they're not the most professional. So if you want me to see me just like, hey, I'm going to talk into the phone without practicing, talking, telling you what a real estate syndication is. They're not bad. It's just Authentic. like, yeah, that's one way to put it, Matt. Um, <laughs> they're, they're not my best work, but they are work. Um, so check it out um, yeah. while those are still up. And um, there's a video of uh, the dog and then there's some random stuff. But there's going to be a lot more like focus. <laughs> And we've got a whole new series of content that's going to be kind of coming out like, yeah. very soon. Also, um, Blake Peroni and Griffin uh, Haddad have been putting some really cool stuff together. More bite size, more for the uh, the younger generation of accredited investors. <laughs> I'm going to get that on TikTok for uh, first thing today. By the way, yeah, and and, and you may and you may um, ask what, why, why, why. But the reality is, I mean, it's not just the kids. There's a lot of people everywhere. It's how people are getting their information. Mm -hmm. And um, they were onto something. I scrolled down those, even the YouTube shorts now. It's like. Oh, yeah. Very popular. There's something like primal and just not having to make a decision. You just click and it gives it to you. And then on to the next video. We want to be that next video. We are. We we are. We are the next video. Yeah. Um, So, Matt, this is a great episode. Um. It's got to thank you. So for all of us, <laughs> all of us here, great capital um, on the great report. Make sure you like, subscribe, um, leave a comment. We'll probably go to the comments next week. Yeah, we don't we didn't have time this week, but we've been getting some a lot of really good comments. We've got a lot of new people have been subscribing. So if you're a new subscriber, we really appreciate it. And um, that's why I'm sitting on the table, really out of appreciation. Um, we'll catch you next time. Get in touch with us. I don't know. We figured out. All right. See you next week. <laughs>